0: Good evening and welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. I'm James Briarton in Charlotte. Coming up in just moments, our interview tonight with Chief Meteorologist Aubrey Urbanowitz of WSHV in Harrisonburg, Virginia. She's also a panelist on the popular weather podcast, Weather Brands. But we must start this week with a look at the severe weather that rolled through the Carolinas since we last saw you. Starting last Saturday in Kershaw County, South Carolina, where considerable damage occurred to North Central High School as a result of an EF2 tornado with maximum winds of 130 miles an hour. The tornado began near the intersection of Lockhart Road and Keys Lane and then traveled northeast across the campus of North Central High School before lifting approximately half a mile later just beyond the parking lot on the northeast side of the campus. The tornado snapped numerous pine trees at the beginning of its track, then partially collapsed concrete stadium bleachers in a press box. The tornado continued across the gymnasium, lifting all of the HVAC units off the roof. The tornado then lifted most of the roof off the main office and an older auditorium, and then collapsed the exterior wall along the portion of the west side of the building. The tornado then moved into the parking lot on the north side, where it moved four school buses and resulted in broken windows and other damage to some 25 to 30 parked school buses. The tornado then destroyed a small building just beyond the parking lot before lifting. Strong inflow into the tornado caused numerous pine trees to snap just south of the baseball field, where it also collapsed two large light stands and lifted a shipping container about 50 yards. All in all, the tornado's path, about half a mile long, with a path width of about 150 yards. Saturday night also saw numerous trees down across the region, but the next significant damage occurred with severe weather on Wednesday. This one in Horry County, South Carolina, at Loris High School, where a tornado developed near the football field and tracked near the visitor side bleachers and tree line, a mobile trailer was slipped over and a few pine trees were snapped. The tornado continued to the east-northeast across the main parking lot, where it tossed several cars and blew out the windows of dozens of others. A few tree limbs were broken as the tornado exited across Loris Lions Road. It also ripped the metal off of a large barn near the intersection of Highway 9 and South Carolina Route 66. About half a dozen pine trees were snapped as the tornado crossed Campbell Drive. It dissipated as it entered the forest just north of the cell tower at the end of Campbell Drive. Just like the first report, we're happy to report here, no one was injured. The third school to be damaged this week by severe weather is in Sampson County, North Carolina, also occurring on Monday, where a survey team from the National Weather Service in Raleigh concluded that damage occurring at Union Intermediate School was the result of not a tornado, but a wet microburst. Damage in the form of snapped and uprooted trees to the west of the school structure, along with the more significant roof uplift and partial outer wall collapse of the school's gymnasium, occurred in a clear fan-like fashion. This, along with the radar data, confirms the event occurred due to straight-line winds. So again, two lines of severe weather rolling through the Carolinas this week, causing numerous issues across the region, countless trees down, flooded roadways, and power outages. But these three events really standing out because of their significance and because of where they occurred. No injuries in uh, Horry County, no injuries in Kershaw County. Three people did suffer minor injuries in the Sampson County wet microburst. You can stay subscribed to all the latest weather news, throughout the week by following the Carolina Weather Group on our social platforms and our podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. More of our conversation when the Carolina Weather Group returns after this short break. All right, let's throw things over now to Scotty Powell to bring in this week's guest and kick off another episode of the Carolina Weather Group. Scotty? Hello, everyone.
1: Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group, show number 304. We all hope you've had a great start to the new year. Tonight, we have on with us Aubrey... Aubrey urbanowitz uh, She is the Chief Meteorologist at WHSV in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And so uh, you may uh, know Aubrey if you listen to a lot of weather pa- podcasts. Aubrey is a panelist on the Weather Brains, and we're going to definitely dig into that. Uh, but tonight we're just going to get to know Aubrey and uh, what got her hooked. She's got an interesting story about joining the meteorology field. So uh, we appreciate you watching tonight. If you have any comments, just uh, send them to us on our Twitter page at Carolina WX Group or you can
2: uh, comment on the uh, stream that's going on right now. So, Aubrey, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I appreciate it. It's nice to, you know, kind of cross podcast.
1: That's right. That's right. You know, normally we do that uh, National Weather Podcast month, mm-hmm. but we're doing it a couple months early. So, Aubrey, uh, we was kind of little, a uh, little bit talking about your, uh, your foray into meteorology. You, you didn't start off. Uh, your college uh, path didn't really take you into broadcast meteorology. You actually started um, with a restaurant chain. So tell us about that, that little interesting story that kind of got you into weather. So
2: I had zero aspiration to be on television. I was, you know, when I kind of went through high school and, and started college, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I had a great job at Chili's restaurant. I kind of worked my way up and I started to become a corporate trainer. So as a corporate trainer, if you're not familiar, you would basically become part of a team. You would travel around and do new store openings as a corporate trainer, train new employees. And you kind of got to see a lot of the country. In fact, I got to do several international openings and you know, I just kind of got to meet a lot of people. And it was on a lot of these new openings where I kind of discovered my passion for weather. So I started doing openings in 2003. In 2004 and 2005, Chili's had this goal of opening 100 plus restaurants. And if you think back meteorologically, in 2004, 2005, what happened? Hurricane season, 2004, that's when Florida was almost wiped off the map by all four hurricanes. I was in two of those, two of the four. Hurricane Katrina was kind of a turning point for me, really. Um, I was sent back to Louisiana to help rebuild some stores after I had been there and evacuated. Uh, for Katrina, I was there during Rita and I uh, ended up being there for three months. I was in Louisiana so long, they ended up starting to take state taxes out of my checks. So after that, I went back to, I was living in Johnson City, Tennessee at the time, and I went and saw Mark Reynolds at WJHL, who responded to an email that I had sent and brought me into the TV studio, and I asked him questions, and I wanted to be behind the scenes. I thought maybe, you know, producing, I can make graphics, I was good with computers, and he said, there's no jobs in that, you need to be in front of the camera. And I said, oh, that's, that's not me, I'm not, that's not what I want to do. And he said, you can do it. I think, I think you can do this. And he said, I want you to take a look at this program. And he pointed me in the direction of Mississippi state and somehow blindly, I agreed to it and kind of followed his advice. And within maybe a couple weeks I was enrolled or accepted into the Mississippi state distance program. And I was able to not only take classes and finish my degree, but also I was still able to travel with Chili's, um for at least 2 years and still able to do corporate openings. And so I got an internship and yada yada yada, I got my first job at WHSV in Harrisonburg, Virginia and fell in love with this place. Absolutely never yes. intended to be here past my 2-year contract and resigned, got promoted. Here's the thing, I got promoted to a Monday through Friday position from weekends after I think 7 or 8 months after working in a restaurant for 12 years, meaning weekends and nights, for 12 years, I thought, "Wow, I have weekends off. The rest is history." And I could not have asked for a more amazing place, a beautiful area. And now my brother moved here four years ago. My parents just moved here in May, so now I've got family here, which a lot of meteorologists, you know, unless you move to your home market, you can't say that. So um, it's I just feel very blessed. Um, and kind of lucky.
3: Now, Aubrey, you mentioned that you had no interest in going on TV. So none. One industry into a completely different industry. Where did you gain your experience on how to get yourself ready to go on camera and do live weather forecasting? Is that something you learned along the way? I know there's probably some folks out there that will be watching that uh, might be interested in seeing how you transitioned into that to get your confidence level up to be able to forecast on camera.
2: So it was all the leadership in Chili's. It was the training role that I had working for Chili's for so long. I knew, I knew every item. I was quality control. I knew exactly what, what little details went on every single menu item. I could recite that menu backwards and forwards. I could teach And so when I started training and teaching these menu items, the Chili's way and how to serve and how to bartend, I was confident in that because I knew that material. So when I learned how to present and train, I was confident in that material. So when I finally was able to teach that, that's what gave me the confidence as I became a leader in that material. And so it was actually kind of that transition that I learned to be able to present myself on camera, once I was comfortable, and kind of was able to, I guess, get used to the fact that I was on camera, learn some breathing exercises and not think about the fact that I was on camera. It just kind of transitioned because I just envisioned myself talking to people like I'm talking to a group like I'm training people, giving them the information that I know, like I'm teaching them the menu items. I'm teaching them the forecast. And so it was kind of that you think it's two completely different worlds, but it's actually kind of very similar. Um, So that's how I transitioned because I had absolutely no desire to be on camera. I was never a theater major. I was never a singer. I was never a performer. Um, You know, I was a dancer, but that, you know, that was when I was a kid. So, you know, I, I never ever would have imagined I would have been on television and now I can't see myself doing anything else.
3: I love that history. I love how you, I mean, you, you put yourself on the fast track through that whole process. I can see. Um, so going through the program, getting your meteorology degree, getting a job, um, it's something you became passionate about very quickly. So I'm, I'm assuming you probably have some favorite areas of study, maybe some research or favorite topics of meteorology. Would you like to share some of those with us?
2: Yeah. So I've really developed a love for weather history. Um, that's, and i think a lot of that has stemmed from me learning this area and really kind of diving into shenandoah valley weather history you know I, i'm not in a severe weather market we get kind of a mix of every kind of weather we do get four seasons we we don't get super big storms often when we do we can get big storms it's just not maybe as frequent as some other markets but we do have a Good storm history. And so I think when I was diving into that is when I kind of developed my passion for weather history and really showcasing and I, I did kind of a a keynote address at the Mississippi State Severe Storm Symposium last year on learning the weather history and your market when you go to a new TV station, you'll make that bond with your viewers when you do learn that weather history and it'll also make you become a better forecaster when you learn a lot of that weather history in your market and I think it was kind of during that process that I really developed that and now you know hurricanes are how I got into meteorology so that I always have a soft spot for that but I haven't really had much of an opportunity to forecast them so I think I'm turning more into a severe weather nerd and I'm really loving the structure of thunderstorms more and more. So um, I'm hoping to storm chase this spring. That, that's my goal. You know, as, as I become chief, you know, you're stuck in the studio more and more. So you don't get an opportunity to see the sky as much, even though we all love to watch the sky. So, um, so I think um, I'm going to try and do that, but also try to, you know, watch the sky more and more. So, yeah thunderstorms are definitely definitely the sweet spot
3: you sure get your your fair share in the Shenandoah valley area the mid-atlantic is a pretty volatile area of the country where fronts sweep through and crisscross and uh, meander and and cause all kinds of interesting weather up that way how what is clear damming and and how does it occur and and how long does it last
2: so the cold air damming is is kind of a special feature that happens in between the mountains. You can get kind of a stronger event, which can go um, all the way down from the mid-Atlantic, all the way down the mountains into, into Georgia and the Carolinas. You can get kind of a weaker event that maybe will affect part of, part of Virginia, um, part of Northern Virginia, and then you kind of end up with a really big temperature gradient in between a couple of areas. Um, And a lot of that comes from high pressure. Some of that comes from coastal storms. So you have high pressure that moves over New England. Sometimes it moves over Pennsylvania. And due to that position of the high, when you have that clockwise flow, that brings in not only the cooler air from the north, but also the cooler maritime air, that cooler moist air from the Atlantic, and that cooler air, cooler air is uh, more dense, so it sinks in between the mountains. It can be intensified when you have an area of low pressure that moves along the coast, when you have that counterclockwise circulation, especially moving up the Carolinas. Sometimes you can get some of your um, big icing events that way. You can also get some of your Big snow events that way, depending on how deep that cold air is. So, sometimes when you have maybe a weaker event, you can get a pretty decent temperature gradient. In fact, the February tornado event a couple of years ago in Virginia, that was a cold air damming situation, a we- or what we call a wedge event, where the Roanoke Valley was in the 70s. That wedge started to lift northward. Stanton Virginia which is in my viewing area it's the southern part of my viewing area started to erode out of that wedge and temperatures started to get into the upper 60s where Harrisonburg just 30 miles away was stuck at 46 degrees. Um, You can have let's see even just last week we had a wedging event where temperatures were I think a 30 degree spread within about an hour drive. So you know some of the you can have a partly cloudy wedge, you can have a sunny wedge. Um, Most times you have low clouds, stratiform clouds, um, a lot of drizzle. Um, And then of course, in the wintertime, you have to watch for your precipitation because you can get a lot of icing events. But uh, temperatures are very interesting when you're forecasting the wedge. You know, I've learned that Whatever you forecast, you know, drop it another 10, 15 degrees.
1: <laughs> hey, Audrey, Aubrey, Aubrey, yeah. I was wondering, Ben, your newest meteorologist back there, have you prepared him for the wedge? I mean, <laughs> is, is he, does he know what he's getting himself into? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have not prepared Ben for the wedge fully yet, although the good news is they're asking if I've prepared you for the wedge yet. The good news is Ben is from Richmond, and Ben also went to Virginia Tech. So Ben is also – familiar with the wedge he's good
1: then he's good
2: yeah so he definitely knows but um you know kind of the key to the wedge is is to follow the dew point you know you'll do a lot better if you can follow the dew point at least um and whatever the models think and you doubt drop it just drop it another five degrees
3: that's always a safe bet so aubrey i want to reverse one of Shay's questions from earlier and ask so the shenandoah valley has unique You know, interesting weather, but also some difficulty, um, some difficult systems that are, uh, that is hard to forecast. What are some of the hardest systems to forecast in the Shenandoah Valley?
2: Well, even something like today, you know, we had a shortwave trough kind of rotating through behind um, yesterday's storm. And, A lot of times when we have that happen or we have a trough coming through after a cold front, we get this wonderful blast of uh, upslope snow showers or the orographic lift across the Allegheny Mountains. So where I am in the Shenandoah Valley, we average about 20 to 25 inches of snow a year. Within a two-hour drive, the Alleghenies average 100 to 110 inches of snow a year. So you have quite the difference with the, you know, they get lake effect snow all the time. So when you have these shortwave troughs moving through, or you have the orographic lift, especially when you have strong wind um, and just enough of that, maybe vorticity or upper upper level energy rotating through, you can get these snow swells, these snow bands. You have to watch out for those. And what happened this morning was I expected some of those snow bands. One, it was more intense. Um, and two, they dropped a lot, farther, a lot farther south, about 45 miles further south than I expected. Um, so I'm always cautious of those. And so it's kind of just more about communication because a lot of times the models don't fully pick up on those. You have to kind of watch for the hints. Um, and so it's kind of one of those things where, okay, I'm looking for some snow squalls. Maybe I'll kind of generalize it. Um, instead of specifically saying, okay, I'm expecting some of these mainly in the Northern Valley, maybe I'll say, you know, this is what's possible tomorrow. This is what snow squalls are capable of. And, you know, if you get in a snow squall, it can drop a, you know, a dusting to an inch in some areas. But if you don't get one, you're going to have sunshine. So um, I I think the snow squalls are are definitely a little bit challenging. The other thing is precipitation, because a lot of surface fronts, don't give us anything. You know, if there's not that upper level oomph, if we don't get, um, you know, shortwave energy, if we don't get a jet streak, if we don't get, um, any sort of vorticity or any sort of upper level support, the front just fizzles and we just don't get any precipitation. So because of downsloping, downsloping can really kill a lot of our precipitation. So that's always, always challenging unless you have a derecho coming through like in 2012. Um, So that's always uh, a challenge is precipitation. Um, The one great thing here is that we're usually not as, well, we are not as humid as east of the Blue Ridge. The Blue Ridge Mountains are not that tall, but what they do is they block a lot of that Atlantic moisture. So we don't get as severe storms. If you ever watch the radar in the summertime, we'll get some storms, but watch them light up like a Christmas tree as they move east of the Blue Ridge. If you watch the heat advisories come out in the summertime, 99% of the time, they're all east of the Blue Ridge because of that humidity. You know, we get a dew point of 66. That is a bad day here. Um, so that's always kind of, kind of interesting.
3: Well, that's interesting because I'm from Asheville originally. So a lot of mm-hmm. the things that you're mentioning right, right now are exactly what we deal with. You know, the downsloping, making Asheville the driest place in North Carolina. Um, as well as we call it you know, our Northwest flow snow showers and the, yep. the snow squalls. So that's interesting how it connects to you know, Virginia weather and North Carolina weather. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all they're so similar um, yep. in characteristics.
0: More of our conversation when the Carolina Weather Group returns after this short break.
1: We were talking earlier about you being on the panelist of Weather Brains. How did you get
2: incorporated with James Spann and the crew down there? So what's really funny is apparently one of my viewers is a listener of weather brains. And several years ago, he wrote in somehow heard my story and said, Hey, this girl has an interesting story of how she got into weather. You guys might want to talk to her. So they, Bill emailed me and I was like, I was so intimidated. I was like, Oh my God, I, I don't have anything to offer. You guys are amazing. Like what? I don't have anything. So I, He had to kind of convince me to go on, and so I went on, and James was a little bit impressed of how I actually, I guess, spoke, and I guess a few weeks after that, Kevin had a little bit of a tizzy and kind of quit the show temporarily, which he's done in the past. Imagine that. (laughs) 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 The accelerant. Um, So, and Bill kind of uh, had me on again, and then he asked me if I'd be interested in being a panelist, and I was like, wow. Okay. And it kind of fit into my schedule. I was doing the five and 10 o'clock show it, it, when I was doing the five, was I doing the five and 10? T- I think I was doing the five and 10. It ended up working with my schedule and I, I agreed to it. And I'm so thankful I did because I just, the amount of people that I've met um, is just, it's just great. You know, And it's just the weather community. And of course you guys know weather Twitter is amazing. And the amount of things that I've learned and with my schedule now, I don't always get the opportunity to complete the show. So I have to kind of go back later, but it's just, it's, it's just the coolest. And that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a cool story. That's something I have a Kevin
1: Sealy story for you. You'll you'll enjoy this. Uh, This was back in the Google hangout days, you know, Mm -hmm. Google hangout has since went away, but we always copy and paste in an email, send it to our guests say, Hey, here's the link to join in. Well, evidently Kevin didn't get that part, and he actually tweeted out, "Hey, here's the link to watch me tonight." So we had all these <laughs> people bombarding our Google Hangout, and we actually had to shut it down and redo a, a new link and everything. And, and so that's our Kevin silly stories. Uh, it just we were talking, and all of a sudden, these people just started popping, <laughs> in. we're like, Who, "Who's that? Who's you know?" And it was, it was hilarious. But uh, I I think we can all echo it, it's pretty cool doing a weather podcast and you get to meet so many people in the mm-hmm. weather industry that you, you you know, you follow on Twitter and you may have a, a brief conversation on Twitter, but you actually get to sit down and have a conversation with them.
2: It's, and we it's, get to geek exciting. out over these people too. And normal people don't get it. And, you know, it, it's just, you know, the the weather enterprise is just so amazing. And you're geeking out over these rock stars and we get to geek out too. So.
3: Yeah, you mentioned earlier that you you, got to meet, you get to meet a lot of people, and, and even here in the Carolina Weather Group, um, you know, everyone has their own sort of opinions about. Hey, you're my favorite guest. Um, what are some of your most memorable guests that you've you've been a part of the panel for? Oh
2: man, um, you know, the Greg Carbon shows are always a treat. Um, those are always good. Um, Mike Bettis came on and talked to us about his um, chase situation that that happened in. uh, Was that 2013?
3: I think it was either 13 or 14. Yeah. Yeah.
1: When they rolled over.
2: Yeah, Yeah, it was El Reno, Um, and that was a pretty that was a pretty powerful um, show. Um, That was, you know, hearing hearing his story. Um, that was always a powerful one. Um, let's see.
1: You don't have to go into details. You don't say anything. Were you on show four hundred four? Yes. <laughs> that was interesting. That
2: was an that was an interesting. And you know what? I don't know that I even spoke during that show. Um, but I do have <laughs> the shirt from Holicity <laughs> Weather that's um, plus minus F three. <laughs> And I think I'm the only one that actually has that because I just think it's hilarious. We,
1: we internally, we'll just joke around. We'll just show at 404 and we automatically know, you know, that's just, that that was an interesting show for sure. We have a couple more minutes with Aubrey. I know she has to get ready for um, the news tonight. Um, talking about weather brains and shows and guests you had um, a lot of us have mentors uh, in, in the weather world. Do you have any weather mentors? I,
2: mean, I would assume maybe James Spann might be one. I mean, any others that, that, you know, my, my biggest mentor was, is Mark Reynolds. I would not be where I am without him. Not only did he kind of blow my mind, he, he answered my email. I mean, I was just asking to come in and view a studio to see if this was even a field that i might even want to pursue and he brought me in as someone who is curious told me he thought i mean after only meeting me for 20 minutes told me he thought i had the voice for this and i could do this and talked me into the mississippi state program i mean that's the kind of person he is and then fought to get me an internship and worked with me and then still let me come in the studio when I needed to practice on the green wall, uh, on the chroma key, I, I would not be where I am without Mark Reynolds and I still keep in touch with him. And he's given me advice over the years and it just I absolutely would not be where I am without him. Um, I wish I had a lot of other weather mentors. I've had to do a, I have, I've had to do a lot of learning on my own. Um, which is not ideal. But, you know, someone who's determined, who really wants to succeed at this industry, sometimes you do what you have to do. So but but I would not be where I am without Mark Reynolds from WJHL. And he's amazing. And I know a lot of other people um, at at NWA this year, um, Tom Watts, who used to work with Mark and who was on air when I was living in Johnson city before I got into meteorology, I actually got to meet him and then um, Ken Weathers who also used to work with Mark, I think was one of his interns. Also, we were all there at NWA. And so we were kind of little, Mark's little protégés and it was just cool to kind of be a part of that group. So Mark, Mark is it.
0: That's very, very cool. I love that stories and all those people, too. I do want to change topics a little bit, but feed off of your uh, comment about, you know, learning things as you go. The last 10 years, we've really had to learn how social media works and how it plays into our field. Yes, I know. It's kind of a necessary evil, but it also turns out, you know, very helpful for, you know, our online shows and things like that. So talk a little bit about how important social media is to you as a meteorologist and with weather brains as well.
2: Yeah, so it is very important. As much as sometimes we do hate it, it is very important. Um, I utilize it to the best that I can, and I, you know, there's a lot of. So the bad thing with being a female is you do get a lot of you get a lot of comments. You get a lot of nasty comments. You get a lot of rude comments. You get a lot of you get a lot of crazy comments. And I know a lot of females that. Um, will turn off a lot of their messages and private messages, which is really sad that you have to do that. I do not do that. And I'm thankful that I don't have to, but I have actually met so many amazing people and have become friends with a lot of great people because of that. And I've become friends with some great viewers because of private messaging and things like that. And I'm very thankful for that. So it's really sad that that some other Female counterparts don't have that opportunity, maybe just because i 'm in a smaller market, I kind of had to have a little bit of that opportunity and i've maybe been a little trusting with some people, but I have Been lucky enough to make some of those really great relationships with people. So building those relationships with your viewers are obviously very, very important, especially with, um, you know, when you're getting that information with storm reports, snow reports, rainfall reports, um, storm chasers, you know, those photos are just relying on Um, you know, even just everyday photos when it's quiet outside, just to sometimes fill your time uh, relying on a photographer. So those are always great, relying on information and having that communication back and forth. But social media, you know, it, it is, it's the future. It is, it's where we are. Um, but you can do a lot with social media. You can get changing. I mean, we all know weather changes sometimes very quickly. Um, so you can get important information out really quickly with social media.
3: Yeah, I know that. I mean, uh, I mean, that's the the internet is where I live, uh, just doing what I do. And and, and I'll tell you what, I mean, it's just completely changed the game as far as getting storm reports, as far as getting, you know, situational awareness on the ground. Um, You you suddenly have uh, so many more cameras to tap into. And and it really just, it it just, uh, I mean, I I don't know that, I don't know how y'all did it before that. But I know that it's completely changed the game here um, for sure. And, you know, here in Charleston, we have a really good and engaged community. So I'm curious, you know, before we get into something even more fun, um, you know, what is it, What is your weather community like up in uh, up in
0: your neck of the woods?
2: They're amazing. I would not be here still on TV where I am without this community. And I constantly mm-hmm. say that this community is why I stay here. This is why not only I stay here, but why I've brought my family here because this community is still amazing. You know, some of the things that I see in here in the female group on Facebook is sometimes horrifying. And I don't know if I could do this job. If I heard stuff like that on a daily or weekly basis, I, you know, we all get criticism. We all get stuff like that. We all get pushback, but I don't get a lot of it. And I'm very grateful that the community responds well to me. So I'm very grateful for the community and how wonderful people are here. So they're amazing and they've welcomed my family. I mean, Urbanowitz, you can't slide into a community in Virginia with a name like <laughs> Urbanowitz and hide under the radar. I mean, they know exactly who my brother is, they know exactly who my parents are. And everyone, I mean, my parents all the time. You know, people talk once they hear their last name, people talk to them and they get such, you know, they get feedback, but people are just so nice to them. So the community here is incredible. And it's one of the reasons I've stayed.
3: That's wonderful. That's wonderful.
1: Well, Aubrey, we've we've certainly enjoyed getting uh, to know you tonight and we appreciate you uh, donating some time to us. If our folks want to watch uh, you, uh, social media, we were just talking
2: about, uh, if they want to follow you on social media, how can they do that? So on Twitter, I'm very active on Twitter. So it's at WHSVAubs, A-U-B-S. OBS is kind of my little nickname. And then on Facebook, uh, just search for Meteorologist Aubrey. I tell people you don't have to spell the last name if you just search for Meteorologist Aubrey. And then on, on Instagram, I am, let me get my Instagram out because I think, um, yes, wxobs, wxaubs, on Instagram, or as I call it, the gram. <laughs> the Graham.
1: Uh, yeah, Evan runs our Graham. Uh, that's that's his his title. So yeah, <laughs> I should be better at it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. a lot. It's a lot of pictures of my dog. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Aubrey, uh, thank you so much, and we uh, we hope that I know you guys haven't had a lot of winter either. So we hope you get some winter up your way. Uh, sometimes in the in the coming weeks but we appreciate you spending some time with us and tell everybody at the brains weather brains that we said hello and uh, we look forward to uh, hopefully working with you guys during the national weather podcast month later on this year
2: of course thanks for having me on guys appreciate
1: it
0: always good to see you Thanks, Scotty, and thanks to Aubrey for joining us this week and giving us a little bit of her time. Our producers this week include Mr. Scotty Powell and Tim Pounds. On behalf of everyone here at the Carolina Weather Group, I'm James Brierton in Charlotte. Have a great week. We'll see you back here real soon for another edition of the Carolina Weather Group.